so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Hey, here's a question. Why why is your name on this here program uh, Lulu in a hat? Because that's what I called myself. <laughs> to see if anybody would notice. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week, although he's not in the studio, but is elsewhere, is uh, Brent Leatherwood. Yes. Can we talk about where I am? I didn't know if you were concerned about your safety or anything. You didn't want people to know no. where you were. No, I'm I'm in the beautiful offices of our sister entity, the North American Mission Board. And I love getting the chance to come down here to Alpharetta, Georgia. They just have a great facility here, and it just speaks to the, the great work that our North American Mission Board does, uh, whether it's planning churches and equipping pastors, disaster relief, all, all that great stuff. It's right here in this 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 great building. So it's uh, it's great to be here with them. Well, that's great. Well, I'm glad you get to be there. We're sad to not have you here in the studio, but I'm glad you get to be down there in Atlanta. It's probably warmer there for you, which makes you happy. Uh, yes. It got to 80 degrees. Oh, wow. That's kind of hot. Um, no, it's not. Side note, I interned at a church in East Cobb County, Georgia, which is right down the road from Nam. So yeah. that was my old stomping grounds at one point in time. Well, Brent, we have got a busy week, and you particularly can talk about what you're there doing this week. But let's start out by talking about what's been happening at the ERLC. And first up is an article about just the horrors that are happening between Russia and Ukraine. Jason Thacker's article is titled, What the Horrors of War Teach Us About the Nature of Morality, Russia, Ukraine, and the Objective Truth of Good and Evil. So basically what Jason says is this, there is no neutrality in wartime. We can sit uh, during peacetime in our uh, recliners and casually talk about what quote-unquote, our truth is and the subjectivity of um, good and evil and um, how there is no absolute truth. But the lies of those statements are revealed in wartime. We instinctively know because we're made in God's image and He has given us a conscience— We instinctively know that things are good and bad, and by and large, we cheer for good to prevail. So when we see a country illegally and unjustly invading another country and civilians dying because of this, little NICU babies having to be moved to the basement of the hospital because their nurses fear for their safety, when orphans are displaced and forced to flee a war zone, we know that that's not right. And so 
As Jason points out, this just is a witness to the truth of God's word, to the truth of who God is, who is good, and he teaches us what good is. And um, it just gives us a picture that all of creation is proclaiming who the one true God is. Yeah, we think of often Jason providing expert-level analysis from an evangelical ethics point of view uh, for technology issues, but the fact is, is the ethical framework that he has applies to so many other issues, and we're so thankful for his voice. And in this piece, he talks about there being objective evil, and he writes this, it is nearly impossible to see this type of devastation caused by this illegal Russian invasion and the loss of human life in war as morally inconsequential or permissible. It is objectively wrong. And what we're seeing play out in Ukraine right now is objectively wrong. He is right to call this uh, invasion evil, and he is right to call out what the Russian regime doing uh, as morally wrong. And uh, this is this is a great piece and definitely want to commend it to our listeners. Yeah, we are thankful for Jason and others on staff who are able to articulate these things and help us to think biblically about all the issues that we encounter in this life. Next up is a piece by Alex Ward, and it's an author interview. It's titled, How Do Our Limits Reflect God's Design? An interview with Kelly Capick about Your Only Human, which is a new book by him. And and this is a quote that he says at the very beginning that I appreciated, and it's also convicting. None of us would call ourselves God, lowercase g, but when we start to explore our deepest assumptions and how we approach life, what we often find betrays hidden beliefs. We assume we are, or at least should be, in control, and that is how we try to conduct our lives. And Kelly Capick goes on to talk about the fact that the limits that are put on our lives, all of us have limits. They actually are not necessarily a bad thing because of the fall and because of sin. They're a good thing that God has given us as his creatures. Only God is all-powerful. Only God knows all things. Only God can do all things and be everywhere at once and keep track of all things. We are simply not designed to do that And instead, we're designed to embrace a posture of humility, recognizing that He is the creator, He's the potter, as the Bible says, we are the clay. And as the Psalms say, you have hemmed me in behind and before. And we usually think of that as something comforting, like you've hemmed me in, you're like a blanket wrapped around me. But really what it means is you've put limits around me for my good and for your glory. So Kelly Capick says we can embrace these things and we can worship God and we can flourish in the midst of those limits. That's right. And I think so many, especially in our modern times, right, we we want to rebel against those limits because we see them as restrictive. But in fact, God is is meaning them and intending them for our flourishing. And Alex teases that truth, that universal truth out uh, in this interview with Kelly Capick. And, and so this certainly looks like a, a good book that will be helpful uh, for our audience. You know, and this really spoke to my heart because I, we, especially as Christians, will say these things, but we don't live like we believe them. And we, in our social media world, and not only that, but just in our day in and day out, you're prized because of your productivity, You're prized because of what you can accomplish. You're praised when you accomplish the most amount of things or the best things. And that's not to say we don't have ambition or we don't pursue excellence, but we have to figure out how to balance this, that we are created with limits and God has designed us to go thus far and no farther. So we need to embrace that and encourage one another in that. 
And then finally, we have a piece by Hannah Daniel, and it's titled, What is the Mississippi Abortion Case? Now, we have had pieces like this on our site before. There's a particular reason why I am highlighting this one today. So the Mississippi abortion case is the case called Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization that many people, including yourself, Brent, have described as a once-in-a-generation opportunity to affirm life and send the question of abortion back to the states. So this could overturn Roe and then overturn Casey, which the Roe decision was affirmed in that. And we are prayerful and hopeful that that will indeed happen. Hannah does a great job describing what this case is about and what's at stake. But why I wanted to highlight it is because our marketing team has worked hard on a landing site for this Dobbs case. It's erlc.com backslash Dobbs, D-O-B-B-S. And there you can find all kinds of information about this case to help you, to help your church, to help whoever it is around you be prepared for what the pro-life movement will look like once this decision is decided, which will be sometime in June. So it is a great resource. The marketing team, especially Conrad Close, has done a fabulous job, and we look forward to continually updating this site with more resources to equip you. That's right. So we want this resource page, this this Dobbs page, we we want it to be a one-stop shop for all of our uh, analysis and resources and equipping that will come out of the Dobbs Supreme Court decision, which, as you said, we are anticipating uh, that that decision will likely come down in the latter half of June. As a matter of fact, probably as the SBC is gathering in Anaheim, California for our 2022 annual meeting, probably shortly thereafter uh, will be the time frame when this decision comes out. And uh, we want the church to be prepared. We want Christians to understand the implications of this. And it's important, you know, you mentioned the Roe decision. Obviously, that gave us the so-called right to an abortion. And then the Casey decision uh, that you mentioned, that kind of gave us our modern uh, architecture, legal framework, if you will, uh, of abortion. And we are hopeful uh, that the court will come back and overrule both uh, of those decisions. And you know, one route that this could go, uh, as you talked about, Lindsay, is that it, it could give the decision uh, back to the states, uh, which is where it was originally. Uh, at the same time, they, they could go even bigger, uh, and they could affirm a, a real right to life and say that there is no right to an abortion. We would hope that they would do that. It's probably unlikely. They probably will take something more uh, restrained, even though that, that would still be, I mean, we should not undersell that. It will be a huge development if states have uh, the right to regulate abortion uh, and save lives. That that will be a huge step. We just need to be ready for this moment, whatever it is. And that's what this page will allow our team to do. And we are extremely proud of our team for bringing this together, for putting this together, providing this resource for us, for Christians, for our churches to be prepared. And, you know, may the Lord use it to equip us to love mothers, to protect and be a voice for the pre-born, and to advocate for the value and dignity and right to life for every single individual in our country and around our world. As I say every week, we truly have a lot of other things on our site. I would encourage you to browse. But Brent, for now, that's your look at what's happening on ERLC.com. Moving into our culture section this week, Brent from Georgia, why don't you let us know what's going on? 
Well, thank you for that, Lindsay. And the the news this week, we're gonna we're gonna start with the the number one story around the globe, which is the illegal uh, Russian invasion of of Ukraine. And uh, we're gonna start with the human toll there. So, uh, Axios is reporting this: according to the United Nations, at least one million people have fled Ukraine since Russian forces invaded the country on February twenty fourth. It is the swiftest exodus of refugees this century, uh, which the Associated Press notes. More than 2,000 civilians have been killed so far. And we have to realize that number may be somewhat weighed down just because of the fog of war. You know, communication lines have been cut, and it's not abundantly clear immediately after some of these bombings who all maybe uh, has has suffered a casualty. And so some of those numbers may, may in fact... Uh, go much higher than just 2,000. Still, that's a that's a huge loss of life. From the story, quote, in just seven days, we have witnessed the exodus of one million refugees from Ukraine to neighboring countries. Uh, Filippo Grandi, who is the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, he continues, for many millions more inside Ukraine, it's time for guns to fall silent so that life-saving humanitarian assistance can be provided. And, you know, this is just a reminder of the toll uh, that is occurring there. And unfortunately, in our next story from CNN, uh, this week, French President uh, Emmanuel Macron, he had a call uh, with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And he's had several of these, only this time it was Putin who was calling Macron. And it was a 90-minute call. And um, according to uh, the, the French Uh, They said this, this conversation is unfortunately an occasion to hear that President Putin will continue military interventions and go all the way. The call allowed the president of the republic to return to the disagreements that we have with Russia, plead for the democratic alternative to military options, to tell the truth to President Putin uh, about how we see this war in Ukraine, but also the consequences it will have for Russia in the long term. And so uh, essentially what the French president was saying is he actually expects that the worst is yet to come in terms of of what uh, Russia is doing to Ukraine. So a very dire and, and just grim note to kind of begin this culture section this week, but that is the reality. And we speak to this, obviously not to revel in the darkness that is occurring there, but uh, with the hope that, you know, podcasts like this, re- reporting that's out there, uh, opinion pieces that are put out there, that hopefully those will filter in to Russia and either convince Vladimir Putin directly that he needs to end this or to inform the Russian people uh, about what is uh, is truly happening here. And our responsibility as Christians is to uncover the works of darkness And we also talk about these things so that we will pray that the Lord would be kind and merciful and gracious to intervene. And I believe that he has in some sense because Ukraine has really stood their ground in a way that, so far as the news has reported, in a way that Russia did not expect. They expected Cleve, the capital, to fall faster. Um, I'm thankful that the the Ukrainian president has been safe thus far and his staff. Um, there have been horrifying pictures of orphans who are being displaced, which we talked about earlier. And so we just need to pray 
that the Lord would continue to move the hearts of world leaders to impose harsh measures to deter the Russian government from continuing this invasion and continuing worse action. And we have a a piece on our site about the sanctions that have been used so far, which there have been—world leaders have come across strong, but it's going to take more than that, of course. And Lindsay, actually, one of the things that I think you're always so good about doing is just reminding us that we need to pray that the gospel itself will find Vladimir Putin's heart and and turn him from this evil. And so we need to continually be praying in that. The last portion that you talked about is actually the part of the subject of our next story, the incredible uh, unity that is being displayed by the global community against uh, what is being perpetrated by the Russians. And you mentioned those sanctions. We're starting to get reports that the incredible number of sanctions are really starting to uh, take their toll on the Russian economy. And that was a major part of uh, what occurred on Tuesday night with President Joe Biden's State of the Union address before a joint session of Congress. So this next story, as a matter of fact, the next three stories, uh, there's a lot of Baptist news this week. Uh, the next next three stories come from Baptist Press. So we'll start here with this one. Speaking Tuesday night to a joint session of Congress and a national television audience, Biden began the traditional address by praising the Ukrainian people for their resolve in the face of Russia's then six-day-old invasion of their country. Quote, we, the United States of America, stand with the Ukrainian people, he said. The president led those in attendance in an extended standing ovation for Oksana Marikova, the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, as a sign of solidarity with her country. And Biden also called for protecting the right to abortion while the Supreme Court considers a case this term that could result in the reversal of the 1973 Roe v. Wade opinion that legalized the procedure throughout the country. In addition, the president urged Congress to pass the Equality Act, a far-reaching gay and transgender rights proposal that opponents warn would significantly threaten religious freedom. Uh, so the president's, as all State of the Union addresses are, they're, they're pretty far-reaching and and broad uh, in the number of, of issues that they talk about, which just speaks to the complexity now of the, the modern-day presidency. Um, but essentially, for the first 15 minutes of the hour-long address, the president really focused in on Ukraine. And honestly, we haven't seen that level of bipartisan support about really anything uh, in Washington in quite some time. So uh, to me, that particular portion uh, was pretty inspiring. You know, I have to admit, Brent, um, I do work at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, however, politics is not my strong suit, and therefore I forgot to watch the State of the Union address. I'm not even sure if my husband would have wanted to watch it with me. So I just kind of take your word for it, and I look on Twitter I don't know if that's a bad admission for me, but I am thankful for this bipartisan support for the people of Ukraine, for the unity that we have so desperately needed in our politics, at least displayed in this issue. Now you move straight over to the, and speaking about the right to abortion being protected, and of course I would vehemently disagree with that. But I am thankful, like you mentioned, for the unity that was shown in the support of Ukrainian people. I pray that it continues and that this horror of war is ironically used in an opposite way of what uh, Vladimir Putin intends. And instead of dividing us, that it would seek to unite us even more so. 
Right. Yeah. That it was really that that second half uh, of the speech that took this turn towards talking about things like abortion rights and the Equality Act. And and this is actually this is a, a quote that I gave to Baptist Press. Uh, about that section. Unfortunately, the latter part of the president's remarks highlighted a laundry list of divisive items like the misnamed Equality Act and abortion. It is lamentable that the address went that direction as our nation has big challenges before it right now, and we need leadership that unifies. And, and so, you know, that's that, that's the thing. A number of analysts and commentators afterwards, uh, they were saying, you know, President Biden could have stayed with the part where there is uh, this unity and where people want to see the evils uh, that are coming out of Moscow right now confronted. And um, he did that in the first part. So we want to applaud that and affirm that. But then the second part kind of went down this other track that uh, honestly just just was not uh, all that helpful. All right, so moving on to our next story from Baptist Press. This one is about SBC President Ed Litton and the uh, surprising decision that he announced this week from the story, citing a growing desire to develop a strategy to, quote, bridge our divides and bring about a gospel-driven unity and reconciliation and the need to lead as a pastor rather than from the office of the president. SBC President Ed Litton announced Tuesday, March 1st, that he would not seek a second term as SBC president at the upcoming SBC annual meeting. Linton, pastor of Redemption Church in Mobile, Alabama, made the announcement in a short video released by the church, saying he believes that God is calling him to devote the next five to ten years of his life to pursuing racial reconciliation through the local church. Linton did not provide specifics of the initiative other than to say it is not a top-down program, but a locally-based strategy inviting local churches to take the lead in their communities. Uh, More information will be released at the annual meeting. So um, this uh, was was something that certainly uh, not a lot of folks expected, and uh, it does, uh, it makes Ed Litton the first SBC president since, do you know when? Lindsay, little Baptist trivia. Mm. I'll give you a hint. It was 1980. Oh, well, that's before I was born, so I do Predates not— Predates you and me. I do not know. <laughs> right, but as a fan of history, I know that you don't you don't confine yourself to only the years that you have existed. Um, yeah, but I can't describe but may- <laughs> myself as a fan of Baptist history, though I do love Southern Baptists. I didn't grow up Southern Baptists, so it's something that's I've right. come to appreciate as I've gotten older. There you go. That's great. That's great. No, so it would make him the first president since Adrian Rogers ah. in 1980 to not seek a second term. Now, many of our listeners will know that Adrian Rogers did go on uh, later in the decade to serve a second term as, as SBC president. But so that's, I mean, if you're looking at it like that, that's pretty good company. But needless to say, uh, this, is, uh, this is certainly an interesting moment. In, in SBC life. Uh, he did note in the story that it has been a difficult year and he took responsibility for mistakes he made in the preparation and delivery of particular sermons uh, and acknowledgement of plagiarism accusations from earlier this year. But I, I think when you look on this, this year of service by Dr. Litton, uh, he truly has a pastor's heart and he has brought that to the office of the president. And he wants to seek uh, reconciliation in, in terms of, of race uh, for our denomination. And uh, he wants to, to combat abuse 
uh, within our convention. And that is a credit to him and his leadership that he wants to address these things head on. Yeah, those are worthy pursuits. And may the Lord increase his tribe, <laughs> those who want to who want to combat abuse and who want to seek reconciliation. And he has had a hard year. You know, I in this day and age, I'm not sure I would want to be in a place of leadership in certain areas because it is just difficult, especially in the social media age and in the midst of cancel culture. It is a hard world out there. And so you're probably asking yourself, okay, well, if if Ed Litton is not going to run uh, for president of the SBC, who might? Well, the very next day, Willie Rice, pastor of Calvary Church in Clearwater, Florida, his name is going to be nominated by Clint Presley, uh, pastor of Hickory Grove Baptist in North Carolina. And so uh, BP is also reporting on this. So this is the third of our, our three stories uh, from our friends at, at Baptist Press. Rice, who has pastored Calvary since 2004, was a member of the church during high school, was called to ministry there, and met and married his wife, Cheryl, at the church. Presley told Baptist Press in a quote, Willie Rice represents who Southern Baptists are at their best. He loves Southern Baptists, believes in Southern Baptists, and has demonstrated at every level of our convention his ability to lead Southern Baptists. Uh, Rice is a current trustee for NAM. Uh, he has served as president of the Florida Baptist Convention, did so from 2006 to 2008, and served as president of the SBC's Pastors Conference uh, in 2015. So he's he's got a a long resume in terms of being deeply involved in in SBC life. So I got to tell you, uh, that's that's a, that's a pretty strong candidate to be throwing his name in the in the hat here. I don't know Willie Rice. I have heard of him, and he certainly has a great reputation within the SBC and among people that I know. He, what strikes me about him, I, I think I've only seen pictures of him. He always seems so happy, big smile, and you know why that is, Brent you too would be happy because he lives in Clearwater, Florida. Pastors there, some of the prettiest beaches in Florida. He just gets to go to the beautiful beaches all the time. Having a bad day, go to the beach. Walk in the sand. Get your toes in that flowery white sand. Look at the pretty water. I think I would be in a good mood too. Yes, but as you mentioned earlier, it's probably too hot for you there. No, well, not if I'd be on the beach. I mean, in the middle of the summer, yes, but... I just bring a tent <laughs> and a fan. <laughs> gotcha. Well, so we'll see in the coming weeks uh, who else throws their their name out there to to be nominated. But uh, again, pretty strong candidate right here to possibly be the next SBC president. Okay, and then our final story this week is actually from the world the world of sport, which is a depressing story for you, Brent. It, it is depressing. So. Uh, Essentially, what it is is baseball is now having to cancel its opening day because owners and players cannot get together on a collective bargaining agreement. And so Major League Baseball continues to be locked out. As a matter of fact, it is now the second longest lockout in Major League Baseball. So this story comes to us from Yahoo Sports, and it says this, in 20, the 2022 Major League Baseball season will not start on time according to Commissioner Rob Manfred. I had hoped against hope that I would not have to have this particular press conference at which I'm going to cancel some regular season games, Manfred said Tuesday afternoon. The calendar dictates that we're not going to be able to play the first two series of the regular season, and those games are officially canceled, he said, setting up the first disruption to the Major League Baseball regular season 
since the 94 and 95 strike. So uh, this is bad news. Uh, anytime that baseball cannot be played, uh, it is bad news. Although I will say this, as a Braves fan, it just kind of continues uh, their ability to hold on to the world championship that they won uh, last season. So I, I guess in that, I've somewhat found a, a bit of a silver lining. Uh, obviously, for those folks out there who are not Braves fans, that's not much of a silver lining at all. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to just take in what you've given me to work with, Lindsay. So would you be okay if baseball just canceled forever right now? The Braves won the World Series, and that's good. You'd be fine. You could die a happy man. Yeah, I guess I guess maybe you've discovered the the flaw in my logic because that that would mean that I would be supportive of no baseball ever being played again. So that's that's not really where I want to find myself. <laughs> no, I mean the reality is they, gosh, they just need. I mean, after such a stellar season uh, in 2021, and I don't say that just as a Braves fan. I mean, there were just a lot of great highlights that happened throughout the year. For them not to be able to get together when there is so much money and so much revenue being generated by baseball, it's just, gosh, it's really frustrating as a fan that they haven't been able to do this. What I am hopeful for, though, is uh, for those of us uh, who do uh, want to watch baseball, uh, it gives us an opportunity to turn our attention to college baseball and minor league baseball, which are not affected by the strike because uh, those players are either playing for the, the love of their school or they're playing for I mean, relatively small paychecks in minor league baseball, and um, and hopefully uh, that will be a, a a good good place to turn our attention right now. And you know, it's only a couple more months until football season, so the rest of us are just looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I like football. I love you know college football, but baseball it's America's pastime. So, anyways, on that note, Lindsay, uh, that's your look at this week in culture. And now it's time for The Lunchroom, where we tell you what we're talking about with each other. Brent, what's on your mind today? Well, Lindsay, so uh, given all that's going on in the world, uh, particularly over in Eastern Europe, and with me being here today in the building at the North American Mission Board, I think it's only appropriate to highlight Send Relief because they do such incredible work. So what is Send Relief? I think a lot of Southern Baptists might, you know, they might hear that term, uh, but maybe they're not totally familiar with it. So like from the Sin Relief's website, uh, a collaboration between the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board, Sin Relief is here to make a difference in your community and the world around you because compassion ministry opens the doors to the gospel. And like, so what do they do? This is incredible. Like, I don't, I don't think most Southern Baptists understand what the SBC does. It says, sharing the love of Jesus is central to everything we do at Sin Relief. Whether it's responding to natural disasters, caring for refugees and displaced families, fighting human trafficking at home and abroad, supporting adoption and foster care efforts, and strengthening communities facing economic and physical crises, our goal is the same. And like that's what we're doing. Like right out of this office here at the North American Bishop Board, Sin Relief just continually is serving here domestically or across the globe. And we're just, gosh, we're so thankful for them. And so you might be asking, what? okay, so what are they doing uh, with the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine? Well, I mean, this week, IMB President Paul Chitwood was right on the Ukrainian border personally, uh, helping to minister to refugees and, and give them just the help and the aid and support that they need. So out of this program, out of Sin Relief, it says, um, 
Sin Relief is working with local Baptist partners and churches in Ukraine, Poland, and other border nations to respond to the growing crisis. We can connect you as a pastor or a ministry leader and your church with opportunities to pray and give to support this response. And so I think sometimes we get so narrowly focused on various controversies, whether real or imagined, uh, in SBC life. And we just forget the incredible ways that our cooperative program giving and, and tithes go to truly the ends of the earth and to not just to minister uh, to people who are in need, but to actually give them the gospel at the same time. And that's just incredible. And so the the thing I'm bringing to the lunchroom is sin relief. Uh, because I, I'm I'm just so grateful for what they do. Sin Relief is an incredible ministry. And speaking of SBC presidents, it's the president of Sin Relief is a former uh, Southern Baptist Convention president, Bryant Wright, who also was the pastor of the church where I interned. So there you go. Just to bring it full go. circle. Man, just uh, a tight-knit family here in SBC yeah, life. Yeah, and he uh, just is, from what I hear, especially friends— um, who are pastors just have been influenced by him and his ministry and um, invested in by him. So, and Ascend Relief is another example of why it's so cool to be a Southern Baptist, to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and to be a part of the cooperative program because of how our giving funds things like Send Relief so that they can minister to people serving in the name of Jesus all around the world and in the midst of real felt crises like what's going on in Ukraine. So I'm glad that you highlighted it. Great ministry and glad you get to be at the NAM headquarters today. Okay, well, my lunchroom gives me an opportunity first, well, no, not first, but to talk about my daughter, Marion, who I always talk about on this podcast because as sweet as she is, gets into all kinds of situations that are precarious because she is a strong-willed, adventurous little girl. Anyway, but she turned three yesterday—well, let's see, this we're recording on Thursday. It airs on Friday. She turned three on Wednesday, but we're having a party with her friends outside— tomorrow. She's so, so excited. I can tell she's getting older, has a longer attention span, things like that. She kept saying yesterday, happy birthday to me. And she got baby shark balloons because she loves baby shark. She says, thank you. Thank you, daddy, for my balloons. So it's been really cute. But her turning three also has brought her to the age where we're starting to talk to her or trying to start talking to her about her body for her protection, which is just crazy that we have to talk about that in this world. You know, within the Southern Baptist Convention at the ERLC, we have done a lot of work with uh, sexual abuse uh, survivors and um, are doing a lot of work through our Caring Well initiative to make our churches safe for survivors and safe from abuse. And that's what we want for our children as well. So I took her to the pediatrician today for her well visit, and the pediatrician was also talking to her about that. So I wanted to highlight this resource that I'm buying for our family that others have highlighted, and it's called God Made All of Me, a book to help children protect their bodies. And it's by Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. And I just have heard great things about this resource just to equip our children to be able to exert authority over their bodies so that somebody else does not take advantage of them and to teach them the goodness of how God has designed them. And again, I wish this wasn't a conversation that we had to have with anybody. Um, I wish 
little children and adults didn't have to go through this and wouldn't become victims of abuse. But in a fallen world, we've got to protect our children as best as we can by God's grace. And so this is one resource that I would recommend um, to use in order to do that. Lindsay, this is a, this is a timely item for you to talk about because do you know what this week is? I'm sorry. I'm just like I'm just like popping hey, the trivia well, questions on you throughout say, the day. When you talked about the SBC president, we should do trivia on our show sometime because it's kind of fun. I like trivia. You should. Um, I know it's Dr. Seuss's birthday. That's all I know. There you go. It's Dr. Seuss's birthday. Okay. And so in schools across the country, it's Read Across America Week. There you go. And so, so why not? Why, why shouldn't we be promoting a book, particularly one like this one? God made all of me. So you brought up. Very timely item to the the lunchroom this week. Well, and did you know that Dr. Seuss's birthday actually was on Marion's birthday? It's Wednesday. I did not. Same birthday. And wow. Marion's birthday is also my grandmother's birthday, who died when I was seven, my mom's mom. So that was sweet when she was born on that day, too. Very sweet. Yes. So. Very sweet. Well, there you go. A person's a person, no matter how small. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. And in addition to listening to the ERLC podcast, be sure to check out our other ERLC podcasts. The Digital Public Square airs every Monday, and its host is Jason Thacker, who is one of the leading voices on technology and ethics. And if you like staying informed about important policy decisions that matter to Southern Baptists, Capital Conversations is our podcast directly from Capitol Hill, which is hosted by our colleague, Chelsea Sobolik. Search for The Digital Public Square and Capital Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.